welcome to a special edition of the Innovation Agenda with the California Technology Council, where we take a close look at the relationship between government and the climate that supports innovation and entrepreneurship. Now we turn to our host in our Northern California headquarters, Matt Gardner, founder of the California Technology Council. We have a very special episode of the Innovation Agenda for you today. We're talking to two filmmakers, Christian Johnson and Darren Mann, about their experience making the film State of Control. What starts as an attempt to reach Tibet turns into a harrowing story combining personal and cybersecurity. Before we get there, here's a word from our sponsors at Nixon Peabody. Nixon Peabody LLP. We see 21st century law as a tool to help shape our clients' futures. For more information, please visit www.nixonpeabody.com. Hi, this is Kylie Lee, Head of Relationship Management at the California Technology Council. Your focus should be on getting your business flying, not on the nuts and bolts of administering the details of a startup. That's why we've created a portfolio of startup essentials. Our members receive discounts on the typical products and services that eat up hundreds of hours of time for every startup, from searching for providers to haggling over retail prices. By building volume across the thousands of companies, we've established discounts on many of the things every startup needs. Your time has value. Put it back to work on what matters most, getting your products to market. Learn more at www.californiatechnology.org slash member benefits. Now let's turn to our conversations with Darren Mann and Christian Johnston. If you're listening to this the week of February 13th, and you're in San Francisco, don't miss the chance to join us for a very special screening of State of Control, where we'll be joined by one of the filmmakers to discuss this incredible story. You can find out more on the front page at californiatechnology.org. Now, let's turn to our conversations with Darren and Christian. So we're with Darren Mann, one of the uh, directors, producers, director, producer, director and producer mm-hmm. of State of Control, a documentary released today in San Francisco. Yes. Uh, Darren, the, the core of the story is really about uh, oppression, uh, but in the story, of course, technology comes into play very directly. Can you yep. talk a little bit about your own experience, having your your personal technology raided, having your hotel room uh, uh, sort of sorted through and having things turn up missing and how that started to come into play as you were already going into country to to explore the oppression of, uh, of Tibetans. Yeah, well, as you mentioned, the, the entire project started as a, sort of like a human rights project, I guess, and it wasn't really technologically based, but that slowly started to come into play, and we realized that it was a large part of the story, actually, because in modern times now, the way the Chinese uh, government, I want to specify as the government, not the people, <laughs> the Chinese government. Uh, is holding back the Tibetans is through technology. Um, they uh, find dissidents through emails, through hacking emails, and then, then they pull them out of their house at midnight and they ask them a lot of questions and do really bad things to them. So how technology fell into this was, first of all, making a film is a technological process. You have to have a hard drive to store your data on. So we took a lot of precautionary steps going in to make sure that that data was, was hidden from them and they couldn't find it. As I mentioned, we had a lot of Britney Spears which we did. Then we had a, a hidden sector where we keep the media. So if they would ask that, and, and then we would hold the iPods on our neck 
books, and we would listen to it. So it was as if, and if they wanted to question us, we would give it to them gladly, and they couldn't find the sector because we had a, a technical person here who really um, encrypted that for us. But um, yeah, as the story developed, in the, in the third act now, it, it became an issue of global cyber warfare, which was never the intent of the film. And that really happened when we came back and we started to experience um, the uh, aftermath, if you will, the long reach of what cyber warfare and hacking can do and how powerful it is. And they shut down our film for a while. They got they spooked some like producers into leaving the project and taking funding because they were scared for their kids because they were receiving email threats and their website was shut down through DNS. And so, yeah, that, that was an afterthought, actually, but it wound up being the thrust of the film. Now, you found, a, obviously, the documentary goes through these in great and painstaking detail, but you also found another uh, series of disturbing events that really just reflected intimidation tactics all the way through. So things like uh, people's emails being hacked and, and forwarding set up so that they could monitor people's activities. Uh, this was happening everywhere where you experienced a network of people being intimidated, including your own team, right? Yeah, and, and this all happened once we went uh, in-country into China. That's when this all really started to happen, when we were under the auspices of uh, China Mobile, if you will, which is the, you know, the one you have to use. Um, they have you, and, and they, they shut down my website. They shut down our executive producer's website. They uh, zapped, if you will, for lack of a better term, one of our producer's computers in Georgia and completely killed her Mac, brand new Macintosh. Um, she had a she had a, a, an expert look at it, and it was zapped. I don't know the technical terms for it. But yeah, I mean, there was a lot of uh, hacking happening back when, when we came back to the States, and I've learned a lot about what you can do on that cyber level. But at, at its root level, though, it's the film's uh, inception was really about the human rights issues in Tibet and how th that oppression is real. And there's and in the States, we think, oh, somebody's been hacked, it's secondary, you don't see the villain, you don't really see the end result, right? It's money moved through accounts or something. But over there, it's individuals beaten, individuals gone missing, individuals jailed from their families. And so that was a real impactful thing for me was the use of technology and the actual human fallout collateral, if you will. It's very strong. And I think it's, it's very important for people to understand that. You, in the first half hour of the film, you, you went through, uh, again, tremendous and painstaking detail to, I think, wake people up to the things that we take for granted about mm -hmm. free press and free speech, yeah. uh, which are just plainly not true. Can you talk about how the Olympics in 2008 set up that story, especially in Tibet? Yeah, well, um, you can imagine China hosting the Olympic Games. It's their coming out party, if you will. And uh, Tibet is the thorn in the side. And so they wanted to make sure that that was completely pushed under the rug. So what they did was they issued a basic martial law, a media blackout in the region. Zero media comes in, zero media gets out. Completely quiet. No stories from Tibet. No mention of Tibet. Tibet was not allowed in the Olympic Games, if you imagine. So we found that a ripe time to say, wow, what is happening in there? And could we possibly get in during that time? Yes, but, but China, obviously, Chinese government, um, wanted to make sure that there was no black eye on the Olympic Games. So you uh, posed as buyers, right? And tourists and buyers in different scenarios. The only way we brainstormed and figured out the only way, how can we get in? And we figured, well, there's a lot of carpets in the region, and it's a major carpet manufacturing area. What if we what if we posed as carpet buyers from Vegas who were going to do a 
massive buys for the hotels, and it worked. They got us in. They took us to the you know the factories and and that thing. It didn't take very long for them to figure out that we're not carpet buyers. <laughs> I would say probably a day, a few minutes, probably a few minutes. Yeah, and then I think they just grew tired of us as it went on. But yeah, it, it actually worked because they thought we were going to purchase for the winds and a lot of large. Uh, I don't want to mention a name, but a lot of large hotels. Yeah, around the world. And so that ruse did work, and it's not like we wanted to use a ruse to lie on a level, but it was the only way to get it. There's no free press. So you There's no free press. No, we had to do that. So we'll, we'll talk to Christian about this yeah. as well, but you've made dangerous films before. You've been in, in uh, situations with uncertainty before. Yes. How unusual was this whole scenario, uh, starting back in 2008, of, of being exposed to this kind of intimidation and being trailed all the time and having this, I mean, just the amount of human force that was observing you and staying close to you that entire time which you demonstrated. The guy in the blue Adidas shirt is pretty remarkable in the film. Yeah. He's got a very close eye on you. He does. He does have a close eye. Well, f for me personally, um, during the prior to the journey, we took a lot of steps to ensure the safety of the individuals that we speak to. That was priority for, paramount for us. And then he and I, of course, to protect ourselves as well. But going into it, you sort of put on your blinders and you say, I'm going to do this. And so during the process, um, I wasn't really thinking about it. I don't think Christian was either. We weren't really thinking about what was happening. It was more like, wow. Are they? Is there really two cars following us now? Wow, is our room really bugged? Why are they really doing this? And so, the, if you mean a fear factor, I don't think it was present then. It was more so. I can't believe the steps they're going to to follow two guys. Who who are we? You know, we just we just have little tiny cameras and we're traveling to the region. The the fear factor on their end is is amazing. How how the the Chinese government is so afraid of any information coming out of there, even from their own people. I mean, they censor their own people to great extent and they're so afraid of Tiananmen Square or the Dalai Lama being mentioned and you know we're just trying to figure out and get to a place in our society where that fear doesn't exist anymore and we can talk about what happened in the past and the reality of the now so everyone's self-informed I think we all deserve that so technology also comes into play in the methods you use so there are lots of body cams that you're using yeah. how much did the kind of faster lighter and cheaper availability of, of uh, creative technology help you make this oh, was amazing. We, we could have never done it without that. I mean, we had the uh, ideas of phones. We uh, actually did all of the recordings of the police officers uh, surreptitiously with our phones, like Christian would pretend he's on his phone, and he's recording visually while he's doing it, and we had um, we had uh, cameras around our chests. We had I had a pen camera, which was, sounds cheesy, but it's, it worked great, and you just uh, click it on, and it actually writes, too. So um, we would use a pen camera quite frequently, and we'd be writing something and recording the situations, but yeah, the technology, that's funny you say that because the technology really enabled us to make this as well. And, and I don't want to make it sound like a spy film, but like it, it did enable us to do this. And we're up against people with the Chinese government, massively sophisticated technology on a huge swath. And so I think, yeah, it did you know, enable us to kind of peck our way in there a little bit. Not to overstate this, but you were being searched with incredible frequency, not just in airports, but in your hotels. And if you had had normal camera making, you know, filmmaking 
technology, you'd have, you'd have been discovered off, right offhand. It would have never worked if we had, if we went in with a like with like a traditional filmmaking technology. We had to use the latest technology at the time to pull it off. Yeah, and it completely did enable us. And also the the use of uh, uh, storage units to store the media. You know, when you shoot films, you store a lot of media. You have to have like you know encrypted sectors to keep that in, and it all worked great because they searched all of those and they were never able to find the encrypted sectors. Have you taken the time yet to write the thank you note to Britney Spears? <laughs> no, I have not, but I should. She would be glad to hear that. <laughs> the influence she's had. Yes, sure, of course. On the free press. Yes. Uh, Darren Mann, one of the uh, two creative and courageous talents behind A State of Control. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you. So we're with Christian Johnson, one of the two uh, filmmakers behind State of Control. Uh, Christian, I want to go all the way back to the beginning. What was the inspiration for making this film? Um, I had been privy to the, the Tibet government, Tibetan Buddhism, and always knew that I wanted to do something for the cause, but I wanted it to be at the right time and hopefully something unique enough to make a difference. I read an article in 2007 about the Tibet is burning and how this is the last Dalai Lama because China kidnapped the person that naturally selected all the others. And knowing that the Olympics was happening in 08, that this would be one time for better or worse, it was all going to come to a head. So we started not knowing exactly what our access and story would be, we started filming activists like Tenzin Sundo along the way to find out what was happening in this sort of build-up to the Beijing Olympics, not knowing necessarily where the movie would end up as it is now. Um, so the impetus was really just to tr you never quite know with the documentary exactly where you're going, especially if you're not working off archival, except that there's gas and there's a match, perhaps, and where does it go from there? Really? Did you know that there would be this natural tension around the Olympics? Um, we knew that there was going to be, I mean, we heard stories that people might self-emulate. We heard the stories that people may actually go so far as to suicide bomb themselves in certain areas to make a point. I mean, a lot of rumors were flying of how deep they may actually go um, to, to that point and how far China might go to shut it down. I mean, the annoying factor was that China got the Olympics and that they were supposed to have an open source media opportunity for everybody. So technically, we weren't supposed to be followed, and we were some of the only media that were there so um, and we pushed past the, the normal restrictions that they would have ever allowed anybody else on a Mickey Mouse media tour to take so you know we knew that it was going to be a, a hot topic of basically being there you know Do you, are you disappointed that the Western governments have missed so many teachable moment opportunities to talk about the freedom of expression and the free press? Well, I think people think we have everything we need here in the States and that there's freedom of press. But to that point, I think one of the biggest miscon misconceptions in the West is that our government does it too. And if our government did it, then Michael Moore wouldn't, wouldn't be walking the streets. I went to Fahrenheit 9-11 premiere and I said, if our government had their shit together, if they really wanted to stop it, it would have been Bush and it would have been Fahrenheit 9-11 around the time Bush was still in power. So ultimately they didn't even destroy any of it. They didn't make it complicated on them. The U.S. government does not deter to any point that I know or jail anybody that can say and do whatever they want. And even if they're inside of our emails for certain metadata, you know, preventative um, terrorist activities, they're not making action on it. And so a lot of people just say, you know what, our government does it too. But until you start to realize how affected, you know, the West 
just is in a lot of ways by the power that China has. I think it teaches people that, that your censorship of communication is happening by the fact that just simply China is fusing itself in culturally into movies, into so many things that on a daily basis it's behind the scenes and it's carrying in a very unfortunate direction. And when you go to places like Nepal and you realize that Tibetans aren't allowed to free protest because it's a Maoist government with financial interests that the Chinese are giving the Nepali government that is making this squelch happen for freedom of speech outside of Chinese borders, that's the scary part for me. Yeah, so you, uh, you go to great lengths in the film to show that this isn't just presence, it is oppression. And even the way that the two of you were followed, it's reminiscent of 50s films about East Berlin, right? I mean, there very much is a, a presence around you all the time of your state observers. Uh, did you expect that? Yeah, we expected it. We prepared for it as about as uh, arduously as we could. But when it happens to you as a human being and you walk out of the hotel every morning and it's this strange thing where six people having reading newspapers around you walk out at the same time and then you walk back in and then we start taking pictures of photo license plates and then we start just seeing it and we just think well, maybe we're crazy. And then like after a few days, it starts to drive you so crazy that Darren and I didn't have a normal conversation for almost like 12 days we were there. The TV was blasting. We'd spoken code. And we have to start to think about protecting your sources that way. And if we were Tibetans, how mentally the amount of just slow erosion there is to have a normal conversation and to trust anybody is really where China, I should say the Chinese government, ultimately is winning in the psychological sort of ramifications of being preventative to the point by default of, like, destroying your life. Yeah, and so it's inspired a state of paranoia for you, right? In a very major way, in just the handful of, you know, the week and a half we were there, essentially. So knowing how it is for anybody else's worse, which is why we're trying with this movie to create a bit of a long tail of how we can, with technology of Silicon Valley, help people have clear communications that aren't, you know, controlled and being read into by, you know, oppressive governments. So one of the real clear turning points in the story is when you guys come back to your hotel room and it's clearly been invaded, so much so that they're actually missing items. They didn't try to surreptitiously show up, observe, and go. They, they actually were... Not unlike this little device you have here. Yeah. Um, one thing that I didn't do is clear it out, and so the, all there was on there before that was uh, some some room tone and a monologue and a few factoids that I had given. But they were more damaging to what we were doing. That we weren't there screwing around, and simply with something like a recording device like this, you, they kind of figured out. This was at the tail end. We didn't want to do any of this stuff early on and get kicked out. But putting it on the back of a TV with the lights out without saying anything meant that not only did they have video cameras in the room, it was night vision. So that that's why they went right to the back of a TV and grabbed it. But I thought maybe, I don't know what I thought, but I didn't expect them to steal it. Hey, find it, let alone steal it. And when they did, we kind of knew we were in trouble. And not long after that, when Darren got this strange low dose of strychnine, which was one of those weirder sort of um, times that I've had. In, in very, yeah, again, surreal. Yeah, very, very much so. So it was... Uh, it was strange stuff. So, Christian, we got Darren's perspective on this as well. You've obviously done projects that put you in danger before. You've been in war zones and you've uh, you know, chased interesting pursuits. How was this different? 
Um, I mean, there's not this the same sort of physical violence. It's not an active war zone. So when you're in China, you're meant to believe that this is a, um, a very tourist-friendly area and that everyone's happy and the people are amazing and the Chinese people really have no hand in this. But behind the curtain, and when you start looking deeper, as we did when people started taking our photo, you realize something's a bit off. And that's the part that's frustrating is that you see something that is actively a prosperous country and the people are, are nice and that at a certain point there's just some certain things that are not said or done and those things will land you in prison or kill you and the part that maybe towards the end of this that was unnerving for Darren and I was this is you know we've heard stories about how Kennedy might have been assassinated we've heard a lot of conspiracy theories but on a daily basis that's happening there is that Darren and I can walk into the street in China and get run over by a car and unfortunately the Chinese government may not have found the guy that did it we could have a heart attack and it's congestive heart failure even though it might have been installed by something so it's just, you never quite know and the levels at which they get away with it would allow them to do that kind of thing is the really scary part so it was more about uh, the things that that could happen as opposed to making movie like I did in Afghanistan and Oman and Lebanon and 10 11 12 where you're seeing bombs go off and bullets flying by your head and it was more afraid of being you know shot for being an idiot um, by simply being in that country but people are living this in day-to-day -day life you can also walk in the street right now here in San Francisco and get run over so you might as well hopefully be doing something interesting with with your time but yeah I think this was um, something that people don't know supposedly we're the only unguarded journalists in Tibet since 08 there's been a few articles that have come out where people have been able to evade the police escorts but we screened here at the United Nations as a private screening in San Francisco and I had a woman come up to me and old Tibetans said don't trust her she knew stuff about my dad as she knew stuff about my backstory she knew stuff that no one knows and it was sort of a shot over the bow and she said you're invited back to China uh, if you want to go and not with a gotcha moment and um, supposedly works for Chinese news agency but this you know some of the stuff that's happening and is, is is a bit unnerving I tend to not really care about it personally but for a lot of people that are fearful of this kind of stuff the intimidation factor makes it scary you know? A story, and you have tremendous timing in doing so of a, a Tibetan documentarian that was in prison in China for six years. Uh, was that something that you were aware of capturing uh, when you we, went into this? We actually you came obviously worldwide story. Yeah, I mean, we knew about it when we were in Dharamsala and in, in Kathmandu, and we knew that his wife, who we met, um, talked about it. So we went in Tibet. We knew when we were in Lingsha, where he was in prison. We actually had considered how we might be able to try to document what was happening there, but we didn't quite know. And this is to this day is very complicated. Is that how do we attenuate and connect ourselves to a person who's still there? and there's still harm that could be brought to him. And some people like Tibet reporters without borders have said if you put a spotlight on them, it protects them. And so no one quite knows the answers, but it's also very difficult for people who want the, the safekeeping of their family that are still in Tibet and China, like Dundup is, unfortunately, because he hasn't been allowed access outside. Um, and so it's been been difficult to, to cover his story. And what he did, we're also trying to propel, because his story was the stories that we didn't get because of the surveillance. He was able to 
the film people and speaking naturally about the oppression that's happening in Tibet. And I think my hope with this movie is that they, we, people might learn something about Tibet that they didn't know by way of feeling a, a real-world threat of what the cyber world has to say. And you can see how this unfortunate domino of a peaceful nation, not like I've seen in, in Afghanistan and Beirut where bullets are flying in both directions. The Tibet cause is one of the only I've ever seen where the bullets are only flying in one direction and a very important culture is slowly dying. And as the Western world, we're kind of allowing it to happen and we should learn lessons from this culture to a degree of how it's happened because it's continuing to permeate as it is like our movie being censored in the United States with a chilling effect, you know. Last question for you. You funded part of the project with Kickstarter. How was the crowdfunding for you? Uh, this movie was difficult because it was complete philanthropic 501c3 nonprofit. Darren and I never got paid, so everybody was working for free, which is never easy uh, considering you got to pay rent somehow. But it was something we all believed in. Um, at a certain point, with the benefactors of Steve Kaplan and, and Mary Engelper and a few people that came in with some money, and Russell Long in San Francisco here helped put some money into it, we came up short on the editorial. Um, every time we brought in a new editor, literally that day they got hacked. And so we have people like freak out and leave. I mean, it was like it was like 95% at that point where people had stuff happen, and we had to kind of re record that and track it. But luckily enough, we did a Kickstarter campaign, and we raised some finishing funds for the editorial. And it's with you know people's support like that that can overcome a chilling effect of a company not wanting to put revenues forward, or even one person that might be scared of reprisals or cyber hacking. So yeah, I mean Kickstarter alive and well, and, and I think for something like this, it, it may be the only way our movie sees the light of day is to supersede corporations afraid of Chinese reprisals. Tremendous demonstration of free speech. Mm -hmm. That's the idea. Christian Johnson, one of the two creative and courageous documentarians behind State of Control. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thanks to Christian Johnston and Darren Mann, and to our sponsors at Nixon Peabody, as well as Scott Horwath, Kylie Lee, and the rest of the CTC team. Don't forget that if you're in San Francisco, you can join us for a very special screening of State of Control on Wednesday, February 15th. Learn more on the front page at californiatechnology.org. If you enjoy CTC's podcasts, we want to hear from you. Email us at podcast at californiatechnology.org. Take a moment to subscribe to our podcasts at SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes, and we invite you to join. You can learn more at californiatechnology.org slash join. Thanks for listening, and we'll have more for you soon. The Innovation Agenda is produced in Northern California by the California Technology Council.